It's no secret that big companies are struggling to keep up with the pace of innovation, and many are turning to design as a magic bullet, but not so fast. Today, I talked to Greg's story about how creating a healthy design culture is the true key to innovation. This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products and lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside of Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out more at NineLabs.com. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Design Driven. Um, I'm super excited to have Greg's story on the show today. I've known Greg for a number of years, and he's been doing design for almost 30 years and doing digital for 22 or so of that. He's worked at giant companies like IBM and USAA and, and also run an agency on his own and then uh, a couple other kind of agency relationships. Right now, he is the Senior Director of Design at Envision, and if you're familiar with Envision, you kind of know what that's about, but uh, Greg, what, do you, what does a Senior Director of Design at Envision do day to day? Hey, Jay. How's it going? Hey, man. Um, <laughs> good, good to hear you. Good to see you. Yeah, good to be on the show. Uh, so, Senior Director of Design, um, I, I've only been there for a couple of weeks, uh, but I lead a couple of teams who are working on uh, design at scale problems. So specifically, uh, what, are, what are the needs of design teams at enterprise level companies? Mm -hmm. uh, and that ranges everything from design systems uh, to how do you manage accounts that have a hundred designers and, you know, a thousand stakeholders. Yeah. So that's where the IBM and USAA experience comes in. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it helps to have that point of view. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. So uh, I think you recently moved up to the Seattle area. So you're getting I did. there, but you've, you've lived kind of everywhere. Um, can you just give us a, like a brief recap of how you got to where you are today? Um, got started in design and, and specifically in digital in Alaska of all places. That's where I was raised. That's where I grew up. Um, I got out, uh, and, uh, I fled to Southern California <laughs> where, um, I worked on a, um, uh, worked with a team, I should say, uh, at a very large nonprofit, um, a tele-ministry, uh, of all things. Um, it was there for about five years. I had a brief stint at a small boutique design studio in Pasadena, California, uh, called Polychrome and uh, enjoyed my time there. Um, and then life uh, basically took me in a different direction where I was able to start my own studio. Uh, and I had a bunch of friends and family, even my in-laws were and prompted me to start my own business and, and uh, give that a go. So that I did that. Bag, right? That was airbag. Yep. And um, got that up to a, uh, about a 10 uh, person team with some contractors and we were uh, doing pretty good. So good. In fact, that we were uh, competing against happy cog a lot. Uh, we were bumping into each other at, at pitches, which kind of got awkward because they're our friends. Um, right. And um, Jeffrey Zelbin and Greg Hoy um, 
at uh, a South by Southwest uh, said, Hey, let's, can we talk to you? And, and they said, Hey, we, we think we should merge and uh, airbags should become happy cog and, and we should stop competing against each other. And at the time, this is when, you know, the recession was in full swing. And as a business owner, uh, it sounded like a pretty good idea. So um, joined Happy Cog and we did that for about four or five years and uh, then stepped down to go to the product side and go see what that was about. Uh, <laughs> the product because, side, the dark side. Yeah. Well, you know, the product side had, uh, well, I'd say better defined processes and, sure. um you know, distinct rituals and, and these things that had not yet uh, crept into the agency side. We read about them, but as you know, working with clients, it's, it's hard to have um, or, or, or hard to get clients to kind of follow that kind of discipline when their organization is not equipped to do so, right? So right. I, I just wanted to go see what, what is it like to go uh, get a paycheck and not have to worry about um, who, where your next job is going to come from and, and uh, learn, learn product design, learn that whole process and that point of view. Um, IBM was not my first choice, but it worked out. And, you know, I went from a company of 35 people to a company of 400,000. Right. Uh, and was just kind of thrown in the pool. There's no handholding at that point. It's just uh, sink or swim. And uh, I learned a, a lot very quickly, a lot, a lot. I bet. I bet. I bet it's kind of a culture shock going from you know a small, intimate group to a, an organization of that size where there's so many crazy moving parts and politics oh, huge. and all the things that come along with it. Yeah, big, big, big culture shock. So I'm sure that's informed the work that you're doing now. And you talked about um, design at scale. So, you know, one of the things that, that we see in our work is um, getting people to align towards the same goal and then making sure that everyone's tracking towards that goal and, and there's agreement and you're building consensus along the way. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, your experience with that and like how have you seen a healthy design team function as opposed to one that might be a bit dysfunctional? Hmm. Yeah, I've seen examples of that at IBM and USAA. And um, even though I, I just got there uh, this week at, at um, Envision, um, let me just kind of give you an idea of, of, you know, team size or company size, IBM 400,000, USA is about 35,000, Envision's uh, at 1,000. Um, and yet um, trying to get alignment on teams uh, is uh, you know at, at IBM it's it's a, it's a bit harder USA maybe less so at Envision you know still there's there's a bit of a challenge because you've got um, if you're doing it right you're not simply aligning around just the design team you're doing it with your uh, partners and your peers right so in design uh, that should mean your uh, product management and your engineering. Uh, teams, uh, but also whoever's related to the experience, right? So uh, sometimes that means senior leadership. That means your head of sales, your head of customer success, um, uh, the uh, the marketing folks, um, anybody who's going to have some type of responsibility around the experience that you have to create. Ideally, they're in the room with you, right? And they're they're co-creating, they're co-owning. Uh, the the outcomes of that that alignment mm -hmm. uh, at IBM 
to me, it was, and at, at USA, it was more difficult, I'd say, because the, the people that you were typically working with that were non-designers uh, had a remarkable tenure. And, and uh, you know, when you're dealing with people who have been working for a same company for a couple decades, uh, they've seen a lot of different processes come in and out, you know, uh, and so design to them is kind of just the latest and greatest fad that they feel like, you know, I'll, I'll do your thing. I'll write on the sticky notes. I'll, you know, talk about stuff that's up on the board and put my dots up there. Uh, but, you know, good luck to you in living past uh, 2020, you know, uh, is kind of the attitude. Uh, the difference is, is when you actually can bring in some user data through, uh, you know, primary research and, and or if you can get um, these folks to participate in any of your research activities, that usually is a big eye opener. And so anytime that you can bring that into, you know, your alignment exercises, um, to me, that's, that's where I saw, you know, that's kind of what, what it takes to get everybody in the room uh, aligned on what you're trying to do. Uh, yes, that changes the conversation from being uh, kind of subjective based on everyone's opinion and experience to, you know, real data on the person that you're designing for and what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, their, their, their point of view, right? When we can bring in some of the layers of empathy, uh, it, if, if people are paying attention, uh, it, it, it typically changes their perception. Um, and, and sometimes it's, it's night and day, difference of what they intended to do and after uh, participating in these alignment exercises, you know, what, what they feel like the, the company needs to do from that point on. In some cases, it inspires even better ideas, right? And that's why I feel like uh, if you're doing it right, you're not doing, you're not doing it with just design alone because design, we are not the keepers of all the ideas. Right. Uh, we're the ones that uh, are, hopefully trained and have the capabilities of exercising empathy and being able to replay that or uh, represent that in a way that others will understand and gain that empathy themselves. Um, yeah. And that's one of the, the core challenges of being a designer, right? Is getting people to understand the value of what, of, of the decisions that need to be made and how you're going to make those decisions and the outcomes that you're, that you're seeking. Like it's not, that's not just a digital thing. Like one of the things no. that we struggled with is, you know, we, we focus on doing digital stuff, but so much of what we do applies to everything. And it, it sounds kind of grandiose to say it that way. But when you think about designing a set of shoelaces or, you know, a doorknob or, you know, a website or something like Facebook or, you know, the principles are the underlying principles are essentially the same. And it seems yeah. like it's taken the web group, right? All the UX people or, you know, the old web standards crowd has taken those people a long time to kind of come around to be able to codify things in a way that business people can understand. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, like what are you seeing in terms of the, the, the boardroom conversations around how design has an impact on business? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, in my experience, it's top of mind for anybody who's running a design organization in any, any company of, of size. It kind of reminds me of web 
folks, departments, whatnot, back in the 90s, late, the late 90s, where you get pulled into a boardroom and, and they're saying, why are we spending all this money on, you know, technology and quote, air quote, web designers, you know, where, where is the, the benefit? Where, right. how, how are we recapturing the money that's going out? And you would just have to assure these people, like, you, you just stick with this, right? This is not going to go away. Um, you need to invest in this because it is the future. Uh, and I feel like design is right there. Here we are 20 years later. And uh, to some degree, we're pulling back in because most of what we're talking about in, in design is, is digital. Uh, but the boardroom conversations are the same. Why are we paying millions of dollars for this design program? Where are the outcomes? Where are you right. moving the needle? Right. And that's where you're seeing, uh, you know, some of these reports, thankfully, are starting to come out. You have IBM uh, paid Forrester to do an independent study to uh, evaluate, hey, is, is design at IBM actually doing anything? And Forrester came back and said, absolutely. You're shipping things 33% faster. Um, your, your cost, or maybe it's you're shipping things three times faster. Again, it was a bunch of threes, um, but you're shipping things faster. You're reducing your cost um, to bring things to market. Uh, and, and there's another metric, but you know, they, they were able, Forrester was able to make the case that IBM, yes, you're, you're getting something from this investment. Um, it just slipped my, my mind. Um, the, uh, consultancy that just released their design report too, um, had done a study of a, a number of programs and, and they too came back with, uh, evidence that design helps to move the needle, you know, that it is making an impact on outcomes. And then most recently, Envision uh, released their report on on design maturity and, and has a, a bit of a point of view on that as well. But it, going back to your question about you know the boardroom, the boardroom's asking is is this is this helping us? And then two, they're asking how can we how can we get this beyond design? How can we take these techniques because they're they're they may come from design, but they don't they don't have to be used just solely on design decisions, right? So how can we take these frameworks and get them in other places? Because especially when it comes to alignment, some of these exercises and activities that we do are, are pretty powerful, right? And yeah. they could be used as, as Frog's Collective Action Toolkit shows. Uh, they could be used for everything from small nonprofit organizations uh, like a community church or something to large-scale enterprise, you know, that uh, these these tools are, are all about um, groups coming together to not even innovate, just agree on on a direction of something, right? Right. So, so, um, so the boardroom's asking, how can, you know, how can we scale this out? How can we get this across all of the enterprise? How can we get everybody uh, at the table uh, to, to uh, you know, innovate, to align, uh, to work together more efficiently? And, and that's where it kind of stops, unfortunately. Uh, and there was a really good HBR, uh, Harvard Business Review article about this, about how the truth about innovation is that we have all the tools that we need. We, you know, design thinking techniques, um, workshops, that type of thing, uh, are, 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 uh, and other tools. We've we got everything we need to innovate. But unfortunately, the, the uh, entrenched culture within a lot of these companies 
isn't changing to meet the needs of these new innovative ways, you know, right, to, to uh, run a company. And until the culture changes, um, you, you're not going to, you're not going to see the anything, you know, lift uh, or see much lift and, and see the needle move very much. Yeah, that, that was a great article. And I, I think we had a, a couple of uh, conversations around that. Uh, leading up to this, it was one of the the things that kind of uh, spurred us to have this conversation today. So I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. How have you seen the the kind of the legacy culture get in the way of making effective design decisions? Mm. Well, that comes from everything, or comes in the form of everything from an executive dismissing uh, the outcomes of research. Um, to you know actively participating in some alignment sessions um, some good ones um, but not making the changes within the organization that are necessary to carry those decisions and those ideas through to execution right so uh, you know on, on a friday after uh, let's say a whatever meeting workshop readout we agree on this great high fives uh, happy hour time and then come Monday um, you know the, the the real team that has to execute on these things um, gets hit with blockers by whatever folks in and this is not to, to point the, the blame solely on everything not design but you know you'll get your IT uh, exec who just wants to continue doing things as is right mm -hmm. I don't want to have to change things up. I don't want to give you a, a you know a squad of engineers to work in a new agile you know kind of framework. Um, you have executives who uh, don't trust then the data, um, and so again don't want to make changes. They don't kind of come through with their commitment on things, right. and yet there's there's because there's no um, there's how to put it there's no uh, accountability. And so they know that they could just kind of let, let things kind of whimper and, and uh, go back to the way they were. And it, it's not going to mean it, it, there's no detriment to their job, right? Uh, there's, there's just no, no recourse. And the design group, who's typically the new fledgling, you know, hey, um, uh, you know, we're, we're the new, new kids on the block, and everybody knows that. So they know there's no political clout, right? They, they know that there's few outcomes they can point to and say, this is why you got to listen to us and this is why you got to change. And uh, so we're, we get stuck in a rut. <clears throat> and that's all likely, in my experience anyway, that's due to executives who are not interested in, in really learning some new tricks, right? Um, they really just want to, they'll, they'll go and, and they'll play the game kind of do do some FaceTime, uh, but they're they're really not interested in, in changing changing their ways, changing how things work. Yeah. So have you have you found any effective techniques for talking to those people? Uh, maybe it's IT, maybe it's marketing, maybe it's support, or maybe it's you know going up to the executive level. Have you have you found any effective techniques for getting them to understand that value even when it's kind of kind of fuzzy and, and um, hard to define? The thing I've seen the most effective is when you 
there's there's two things I've seen that's that has changed hearts and minds. That is one, if you can get that person into a research session where they're actually sitting down across from the user and they're they're actually participating in the conversation. Right. Because typically those those folks have been around long enough, they have seen survey data. Um, they may have even at one point in time been very active in talking to their user base, but you know, it, that was 10 years ago. So they rely on survey data. They rely on secondary information. And, and so they quote, know their customer. And it's really interesting when you take that person and you put them in front of a customer for the first time and, and whatever, five to 10, sometimes longer to 15, 20 years. Um, and I've seen a lot of eyes opened, you know, after that session, like, wow, that was, I thought I knew who we were working for. Uh, turns out I was wrong. You know, and right. I've seen that happen a couple of times. The, the second is just simply through um, an empathy exercise, you know, thinks, feels, says, does, uh, again, based off research, based off a profile that's put together through um, I should say some in-depth research. I don't mean we went and just talked to some folks for uh, you know a couple minutes, but where you're able to show them, look, we had 20 hours of recorded conversations, broke that into utterances, uh, spent three days at the wall trying to gather these things that people said into themes, mm-hmm. and then from that, right, from this this the synthesis, here's what our people want us to do. And I, I think when an executive can see the amount of rigor that was put into a research like that, and then out comes uh, you know, a bona fide persona that has not just uh, the thing that points to uh, something that we should make or something we should do, but here's feeling, right? Here's actual emotion that was expressed. You know, I, I've seen people understand, like a light bulb has gone off, like, okay, now I, I get this design thing right? You're, you're actually going after the hearts and minds of our users and trying to understand that, not just, um, you know, uh, what, what's going to uh, trigger a, a purchase um, decision within 15 seconds, right? You're, you're getting to try to understand them a lot more. Yeah, this is a lot deeper than, uh, than a casual survey or like Nielsen ratings or something like that, right? You're really trying <laughs> right. to understand people on a, on a personal level. Right, exactly. Yeah, and that's sometimes difficult to get a uh, you know a busy high-level stakeholder to spend the time to you know participate in in, in user research or to even to try to uh, digest the findings from from what might be you know hours and hours of talking to real customers. So, have have you seen any um, tactics or techniques to kind of summarize things, um, you know, executive summary style in a way that might be more effective than just saying, here's what we think, or here's what we learned. Well, when you can point to some stories that says, um, you know, X company saved X multi-million dollars by, uh, you know, testing some ideas through design, um, yeah, I, I think each executive has their own triggers. I think the thing that I've seen really, uh, really turn some heads is if you could send an executive to design school, to D school. We need, we need more of those. 
um, which I'm kind of, I'm making a mental note as an entrepreneur. Like, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've had conversations with Ryan Rumsey um, uh, about designers understanding business more and, uh, you know, doing, doing our part to understand more about the, the companies that we work for and the industries that we work in. Um, now, just talking to you, I realized there's still a pretty good market out there for executives who really need to understand design and how to incorporate that into their, um, not only their own day-to-day activities, but uh, to help change or alter their point of view on, on leading their own part of their organization or their own company. Yeah, it'd be nice if, uh, if B-School incorporated some of the D-School activities, right? If you come yeah. out. Uh, you, know, you come out with an MBA that you actually understand some of um, some of how this design process works at more than just a cursory level. Oh man, I'm sure there's a lot of teams in the Bay Area who would love if MBAs understood design more, because <laughs> there's a lot of MBAs that uh, right out of school are are given the authority to uh, run a design group and they have zero experience running design. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. So back to that HBR article, because there were a couple of things, and I'll post this in the, in the uh, show notes. Um, there were a couple of things that I thought were kind of interesting about the friction between uh, what people want as an innovative culture and what they actually get because they don't change the way that they think about, um, or they don't change their, their approach. Um, and I think when you sent that article to me, it was, uh, you were the first of like four people to send it to me in the same day. Um, how do you see that that overall kind of innovative attitude incorporated with kind of the traditional or or maybe even some of the newer thinking around design process? Like, how much overlap is there? Um, in my experience, the two are kind of attached to the hip. They're almost like it's almost like a symbiotic relationship. That especially, if I, I feel like an executive rarely talks about design without the word innovation being like right behind it. Right. Right. Um, like that's the reason why we're like, well, you know, air quotes, we are investing in design is because of the promise of, for them, it's the promise of innovation, right? How do you, how do we old stodgy company innovate? How do we get out of our, our shell? How do we get out of our comfort zone design? That's what's going to get you there, right? So, um, I, I feel, I feel like that's the. That, that's I mean, one part that's the truth, uh, but the thing that that you know is is not said is, one plus one doesn't equal two, um, or that's not the equation. You need kind of one plus one plus one, you know, equals three, and that's the the other third is, you need cultural change or cultural shift, right? Right. Um, so I, I think that, um, you know, every exec, especially in a publicly traded company, is just scrambling to innovate, right? They're, um, and and they're, they're either doing it, <clears throat> in my experience, they're doing it because uh, both IBM and USA are, are 100 year old companies, right? And so at some point, each of those uh, large companies, was known for innovation at, at different points in time. And here they find themselves in 
excuse me, in, in, in 2020 and, and not a lot to show for it. Right. So, um, at least over the last couple of decades. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they haven't had their, their thing, um, that they can point to and say, this is why we're on top, you know, and I think it's freaking some people out. And so they're looking at design as a shortcut to get back to that innovative spirit. Um, but they're looking at it as, as kind of like, um, something you could just plug and play and then you're good. Right. So, so that, you know, someone could come to them and say, are you innovating? And it's like, yeah, we got a design department. So (laughs) you bet, you know, where innovation is right around the corner and it, it, you know, that's why that HBR article is so important is you, you can't, yes, you can get there, but it definitely requires um, some org changes. And, and it requires cultural change. And, and if, if you're not behind it, you know, you're, it doesn't matter how much money you throw at design and how many designers you bring on board. If, if you're not behind it and if you're not part of the team, um, you're, you're never going to get there. Right. And so it's not just about uh, instilling a process. It's about shifting people's minds and, and the way that they think about the process. Yeah, it's a one-two punch, and people. There's a lot of companies out there that forget they need to take that second swing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I think the last time, so you've been on the show before, and I think the last time we talked was kind of a similar thread about just the culture of design organizations. So now that you're at Envision, and I'm not sure you know, what your, your future holds in terms of uh, day-to-day work, but it seems like you're focused on design at scale. Um, what do you see being some of the kind of short-term things that companies can do? Like what could they do Monday morning that would help them be smarter and more effective at creating whatever it is that they're trying to create? Um, well, first thing I'd recommend is you get every, every exec, um, I was going to say from every department, but I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily true, but you get your designers, your engineers, your, uh, your, your product management folks. Um, you get the people that help take things to market, help support, uh, your experiences uh, and your leadership, and and you get some of you get those folks or a healthy representation of those folks in a room. And one, <clears throat> make sure that you, they they you know introduce one another <laughs> that they actually know each other. that they actually know each other, and um, you lock them in a room and say this is your new team, right? Um, this this is your primary team. Whatever you're doing before, that was secondary. Um, you folks have to work together. You have to represent your part of the business, but you will all um, uh, represent the user at the end of the day, right? And um, I, I think that's it's it's that kind of mindset of you know, kind of like when Columbus burned the ships, like. Um, Sorry, our our round trip ticket just burned up in the in the lagoon, right? Yeah. But we got to stay yeah. here. There's we no we got to make it work. 
Yeah, yeah no there's way no way back. back. And yeah. I, I honestly think that in some cultures, um, that's that's the kind of change that you need. You got to swing the pendulum hard. And um, I think this is the the nice way to go about it, right? There's there's I'm sure there are tactics, but uh, that that to me is if you can show that that kind of cross section of the company was able to get together and come out of that room uh, with a new mindset um, and, a, and a new alignment on the company's whatever uh, vision, uh, direction, new product, whatever that is, right? Uh, and and each of those people have lived it enough that they can go back to their part of the organization and enact the exact same change, right? And that's what culture hasn't scaled yet, right? Um, and and that the kind of cultural change, design can scale. We know that engineering can scale for sure. So so design can scale with engineering, but to get the innovative culture that everybody's uh, scrambling for that requires cultural change that we have not, I don't, I'm, I don't think we've seen, we haven't even just scratched the surface. Yeah. So it sounds like um, you have to get the business people on board too. So as you said, engineering can scale, that's been proven hundreds and hundreds of times, right? Yep. Design can scale. We're starting to see that, but getting that third, that third leg of the stool, so to speak, is, is getting the business people on board with how um, how this human-centered approach really is more effective in creating things that people will actually use, right? The, that's the missing link at the moment in some organizations. Yeah, and the, and the funny thing is, is, is the same companies that want to innovate, it, I, I would simply say if they would just listen to design, but um, if, if they would, <laughs> um, if they would really look at this seriously as the the other part of the investment, right? The investment in design is shelling out a lot of money to create dedicated space for the practice of design, you know, uh, a slew of new um, you know, headcount. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot, when, especially these legacy companies, these old companies, when they introduce a design organization, it is not a small effort, right? It, it, it's not easy uh, and it's everything from having to add um, new job recs. That, that sounds pretty easy, right? But yeah. at an enterprise company, that's like moving mountains. It is, it, it sounds so dumb and maybe to some degree it is, but starting a, a like standing up a design org is, is um, it, it takes like a year or two just to get, you know, into a company and have it functioning on the business side, like your, your partners, you know, are, you know, like you're in. And, and so that's a, it's a huge distraction. It's a huge amount of money that goes out just to get things set up. So by the time you really reach your third year, it's, it's really like day one. Um, And so I forgot exactly where I was going with this, but, like I think the point here is, if if um, if companies would look at that and say, okay, not only have we made the monetary investment and even the time just to get this thing going, we need to look at culturally what would be the equivalent, you know, um, amount of work and amount of effort, and and get that going at the same time. 
right? And I, I think there's, they just, they haven't seen that. That This is why the report from Envision that came out two days ago, I, I'm hoping will change that conversation. Because um, in that report, so Envision uh, surveyed something like 2,200 people uh, and put together a, a robust data set that gives them, I would say, this um, crazy holistic view of the world of, of design right now. And one of the things I love about, the, about this report is that they were able to find five different levels of uh, design operations. And more importantly, uh, in that maturity, right, they were able to put together a maturity model and in that model, they're able to say, you know, if you're, um, and they, they're, they're in levels, not so much years, but just in, in levels from one to five. And if you're just getting started, if you're level one, like the, the, these are the things that you're likely, you know, doing that, that you should be doing. Um, and it, it doesn't, like culture is one of those things that doesn't really start to, um, you know, pan out. I want to say if, and I have to be the first to admit this came out just days ago. I haven't read through the entire thing, but um, you know, some of these cultural shifts that we're talking about is, isn't necessarily on your radar until you get to like a level three or four. Right. Right. And um, anyway, it's, it, it's really interesting because the, the cultural thing is kind of outside of designs hands. It's, it's, it's out of our hands. It's, it's outside of our, I'd say, ring of um, uh, responsibility. Um, yet at the same time, these two things really ought to be attached to the hip. And, and uh, I, I think people or, or, or publications like HBR are helping people understand the, the true cost of innovation Right, which is, uh, and design is only half of it. Do you see that design leads that though? Does it, in, in my experience and the way that things are shaping up in my head is if we understand a, a challenge that a person or a group of people has well enough to create an elegant solution for that, like that should be the tip of the spear. And then the organization that we build around that or, or, or to support that is the business side of things. And if we put the product first, we put the, you know, whatever that solution is to that person's problem, like really truly being human centered um, and then build the organization around the best way to create that product or that service or that solution. Like that seems to me like the, the, the way successful companies get built. So I think your the next guest for this podcast should be a a, a pastor, <laughs> because Maybe what so. you're talking. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. I'm a designer. You're a designer. We see we see the good news. We see, you know, the way to the promised land. But you're um, and that works when you're preaching to the choir, yeah. right? But yeah. when you're when you're um, so in, in a perfect world, maybe even not so perfect world, yes, you're right. It should be like, wow, this is fresh energy, new tools, new thinking, let's go. 
Um, but it's, uh, it's kind of like, you know, what you're saying is, is you're the, the new kid in school and somehow you're going to make homecoming king on your, your second day, you know, in other words, I, I think it's, it's hard when you're the new person and you're saying, I have the, the key to unlock our success, right? Is, is I, I, I think whether you're being um, a jerk about it or not, I think it kind of comes off as um, you all, your ideas have run out. They've played out. That's why I've been brought in to save the day. Right. I, I literally, I, I feel like that's what people think of designers. Maybe not everybody, but I've seen quite a few who look at us as, Oh, you're, you guys think you're the hottest new thing that's going to save the company. Right. Or it's going to, and um, I don't know. There's, 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 there's a, there's a negative reaction to it, I guess is the way I'll say. So, should companies look at design and be like, wow, you know, you, you can help us get there. Yes. But that's not, I don't think that's, that's uh, human behavior. It's not the reality we live in. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately. And we have no political clout, right? There's, yeah, we, we can't, like, there's a lot of stuff we can't. We finally got a seat at the table, right? What are we going to do with it? <laughs> yeah. That's well, I, I, I'm talking to, to Ryan, he and I had some really good chats uh, uh, recently and it's like, be careful what you wish for. Um, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I know some people that have a seat at the table and I got to tell you when they're at the table, no one's, no one's calling on them saying, Hey, you know, what do you think? Um, a seat at the table means you typically from what I, well, for, I should say typically from what I've seen, a seat at the table means uh, hey, um, all the other departments just reported a, a bunch of numbers that tells me they're doing the you know a good job. Where's your data, right? And right. so the the people that have the seat at the table are now trying to have to enumerate design. Yeah, which um, is super hard. yeah, it's it and it doesn't look good, right? Um, because typically designs the new kid on the block and. Uh, we're, we're trying to, to build, you know, mature and, and get to the point where we're delivering like the other groups. And um, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, I think we're probably uh, about out of time here. So on that note, final thoughts on how two people could improve their design practice. So one being the practitioner, the use and me's of the world. And the other being the the business executive, the person who um, you know does have that more quantifiable thing that they have to try to to answer and, and justify to to their leadership or their management. Yeah. So for the practitioner, I'd say um, care less about tools, more about frameworks. Right. I I um I work with a lot of designers. I talk to a lot of designers and. Uh, there's a lot of attention to the actual craft of design when uh, design today means new ways of thinking about problems 
and, and new ways of thinking about how to solve for problems. But that requires more design. I'm going to call it design thinking. Sometimes it's not quote design thinking. Sometimes it's, it's um, just coming up with different ways to look at a problem. Right. Yeah. And I don't see, a, I don't see a lot of designers um, in general looking to learn those, those things as much as they are, uh, oh my God, you know, new tool. Right. Um, for the executive, um, I would look to, if, if you're spending money on design, uh, whether that's hiring, you know, an agency like, like Nine Labs, or if that's running a hundred year company that's trying to uh, transform itself through design, um, you need to go all in, right? And um, you need to change the the culture to enforce and I should say support and enforce uh, new mindsets, which goes back to the the ask of the the practitioner, which is think of new ways to make decisions to uh, come to alignment. To think of new ways to think about problems. And, and that doesn't just apply to the designers, that applies to anybody who's working in this new way. But it has to be supported and it has to be enforced because um, right. you're not going to get there if people aren't going to change. Yeah. So for the practitioner, focus more on process, less on tools. And for the executive, uh, make the investment and clear the way for those people to do that. Yeah. But I would also say for the, the practitioner, process and thinking. Process and thinking. Because process... Yeah. You know, process sometimes means checking off boxes. Thinking right. is, is more of like, did we actually really just crack the nut? Or, um, you know, have we really looked at this? So I, 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 I feel like you have to add that because otherwise process just becomes another tool. Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Well, man, awesome conversation. Thanks for spending some time this morning um, chatting through some things. You know, obviously we've got plenty of work to do and plenty of more conversations to have. So uh, I look forward yes. to it. Um, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, find out more about what you're working on, get your opinion on things, what's the best way to reach out? I am um, brilliant crank uh, everywhere. So Twitter, brilliant crank. Instagram, brilliant crank. Medium, brilliant crank. All right. So carry, carry over from the old AOL days. <laughs> you know, talk about change. I haven't let go of my AOL handle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mine was uh, JC4642. I oh. just, it got assigned and I just, I never changed it. I never cared. And, and uh, it's, it's now in the dustbin of history. It's like your, your stormtrooper name. JC4642, yeah. why are you at your post? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I abandoned my post, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Greg. Uh, good chatting with you as always. Uh, thanks for being on the show and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, take care. That's it for today. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out how they can help improve your digital products at NineLabs.com. Have comments, questions, or an idea you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click Contact Us at the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven Pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email and tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcasts. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said. Good design is good business.